give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Massey and Paul. This is episode 11 of season 3. If it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode 1, as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. The show does contain film spoilers, so if you have not yet seen the show, I would advise watching it first, it might help you understand a little bit better. And now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. So welcome everybody, and this week we've got Massey and Paul as always. Welcome lads. How you doing, Colm and Paul? Well, how are things lads? Very good, and I'm delighted to say we've got a guest appearance from John O'Loughlin, Leash Inter-County Senior Footballer, and I suppose full-time primary school teacher now after a couple of years working for the GA. John, that'd be right? It is right, Colin, yeah, teacher in um, St. Bridget's Castle Knock. So uh, I teach fifth class and I, I get great enjoyment and satisfaction out of teaching. And you probably would have coached a few of them years ago when you were... Oh, a few years ago I would have had, yeah, but time moves on. It, it sure does. It sure does. Um, so you had the choice of of picking something to watch, and you picked the the test, the Australian cricket documentary from twenty. It was a 2018-2019 season. Yes, yes, yeah. I picked that. Um, I got Amazon Prime there to watch the Spurs All or Nothing. When I got it, I realised there was a lot of good stuff on it, and I watched the test and. After watching it, just an unbelievable newfound respect for cricket and cricketers and the game as a spectacle. And I got a new understanding of the game and it was an eight-part series. And yeah, it was just one of the best documentaries I ever watched, you know, sporting or otherwise. Yeah, so uh, really looking forward to talking about it now. Good. Good. We're delighted. Like you said there, you had a huge newfound respect for them. Like I presume the the whole um, Jeffrey Archer and Steve Smith and the Ashes was, uh, I suppose you know, for a game that you wouldn't consider to be tough. Like my God, that was that was putting, I suppose, any other sport in the world up to the to the standard. Like, wasn't it? Yeah, it it was phenomenal. Like, you know, you're batting and you have a cricket ball, and for anyone who's never held a cricket ball, they're damn hard, you know, and this cricket ball is coming at you with 110, 120 miles an hour and you have to try and return it, but not just hit and hope. You're angling a shot there to make sure the catching team don't catch it. Joffre Archer was one you mentioned there, Steve Smith, but, you know, Virat Kohli and there's, there's so many cricketers that, you know, you, you look at and you think, God, you could get real inspiration from them and what they're doing and how skillful they are. And like, I'm thinking of Tim Payne, one of the first games where he gets the cricket ball in the face and he plays on and you know it was a big thing at the time and the manager of the Australian team the cricket team Justin Langer he made a big deal about it and said look that's the standard we have to get to you know if you're hurt you play on if you're injured you don't play but you be courageous and you be tough and there's so many examples of that throughout the series and yeah it's it's um it's excellent. Yeah, that Archer, that Archer Smith stuff, um, in, in the in the ashes, I thought was class. Like I, I just thought it was violent the way Archer was throwing the ball at Smith and, and at anyone. 
in, in, in the particular thing. And like you'd nearly you'd nearly describe as if you're batting the cane to standing in goal in Horland for a penalty, but instead of just trying to stop the ball, you're trying to whatever hit it 50 yards for for a six or or, or get a four or whatever it is, and you're trying to avoid people in your return. But the great thing about that Archer Smith thing, because like Archer looked like an absolute prick, like <laughs> but immediately after the ashes, he was in the dressing room celebrating. Well, not celebrating, but with with the Australian boys drinking drinking a bottle, and it just really showed a real a real good good respect between between what's out there in terms of competing and with each other. Paul, do you think that Archer had more venom in his throwing? in that particular incident in the Ashes because it was Steve Smith or do you think he would have done that with anyone? Like, you know, the history with Steve Smith and I suppose he was disgraced among the cricket world and do you think there might be a bit of a kind of a hatred there to think he brought the game into disrepute or do you think he just, that's the way he plays? It was, it was Archer's first match, first test match for England and Smith is, was the best batter Australia had so I think he was trying to lay down a marker for himself that he arrived on the test scene now he played one day international cricket earlier in the summer but he was just shown that he arrived in the scene and by god was it violent jeez it was it was rough it was brilliant viewing when when Smith got laid out when he got took it in the head and like it, it mentions it that a colleague an Australian teammate colleague that she died in a similar instance like just a year previous um, I can imagine the thoughts that went through the Australian team mm-hmm. heads at that time must have been sickening. Like, just it was, it was vicious. But like, it, it just even go back a little bit further when they were practicing. Australia were practicing in the nets. Like, two lads went out injured in the space of three balls. I think it was, and one with a broken arm. And what was the other guy? Did he get hit in the head as well? I can't remember. Did he get a shot in the head and one second? I think got the shot in the arm. Yeah, like it, like, like. There's not many sports where you're actually going out there to really intimidate your opponent with like a ball hitting them in the head. Like, yeah. And you know what I thought was just... really interesting about that was like, but it's just taken as part of the game that like you know that like, you're if you stand in front of the stumps and get hit by a ball, tough luck. Like that's just part of the game. If you don't want to get hit, get out of the way. And it's uh, it's it's I have to say it was just a real macho kind of thing to see it because it said. You know, the, the preconception of cricket might be for people that don't know it, might be that it's you know, they all wear the all whites and they are very gentle gentleman's game, like yeah. Mm. And but it was just, I have to say, it was just it was an intriguing um episode that one, you know. Like, like, even if you've no interest in cricket, which plenty of people don't have, just to watch the documentary, like, they don't go through ball by ball, it's not boring or anything like that, but they just show the key moments and like the dressing room and. The, I thought the amount of leaders throughout the team, throughout the series, was just fantastic. Like, like those leaders coming from all sides, young lads, fellas around from years, fellas who were out of the team and back in the team. It was just like, ah, it was just, it was, it's a great watch. It's a great watch. Yeah. I think the sport definitely leads itself to that multiple leaders, you know, that hmm. like on the, on the pitch, um, like Tim Payne for the, for the test, he is, he's, He's the manager, he's the coach, he's the captain, he's the fellow that it all goes back to. And, and I think it's, it's really interesting when you see that kind of a concept um, in that 
like the decisions being made about who goes where and what you do is the player on the pitch. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know, has GA evolved to that? Like, is that the, the Jim Gavin model that we say we see with Dublin, let's say that it is player laid on the pitch more so than the traditional shooting and balling on the sideline? Like, I don't know, has it, has it gone as far with that way or is it trying to go that way? But I, I, it's a different sport, you know, you don't have time in GA to stand around and make big decisions. You know, like the Dublin team, there are a lot of leaders there and it comes second nature to them because of what they've come from, the culture and environment they've come from. But just, as you say, Jim Gavin there, one thing I noticed about Justin Langer was the first thing he said is we want good people. Good people make good cricketers. Whether you get 500 or you get a wicket, you're a good bloke. If we have good blokes, we create good leaders. And I just sort of saw the parallels between, you know, you hear about Dublin GEA senior football team and the All Blacks, you know, good people create good All Blacks, good footballers, good leaders, good cricketers. And I, I thought that was interesting from Justin Langer. He always kept going back to that. Yeah, it was literally the first thing he said, actually, in the film, in the show. But he, he kept repeating it, you know, good people. And I want people to be successful on and off the field. And there was the talk of the sledging as well, which I thought was really interesting. You know, it was like, it was, we're not going to abuse. We can have banter, but no abuse. And, you know, he made it that this is what we're going to do. And, like, again, you kind of, you'd be thinking of some GA teams and you'd be going, oh, where's the, where's the line, you know? Where's the what? Where's the line, or who decides the line? Like, is it is it the manager, or the manager just turn the blind eye? To, let's say John Lockton is saying whatever he wants on the pitch. Like, yeah, do whatever you want, John. You're your own fellow. Or is there a standard that players are kept to? Like, I think the book stops at the management in that regard. Justin Langer, a number of times throughout the documentary, said, "Look, we don't abuse, but we have banter." I think the players brought that on board. Like as I said, Virat Kohli. He's notorious and he was very, very mouthy, you know, walking by lads. And, and Tim Payne just kept saying, you don't react, don't react, don't react. So it, the two leaders there are setting the culture and the standard by not reacting. Now saying that, I think Tim Payne comes out and says he reacted to Collie at one stage because he couldn't help it. But Yeah, yeah, I think they did a good back and forth at one stage. And I think it finished up with, with Payne asking one of the other players, like, like, I know he's your captain, but do you actually like him? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's probably something that people might might assume with GA, the GA players, you know, there might be one or two players on each team that you go on each team. And I, club teams as well, like, that, that mightn't be the most likable players on the pitch, but, like, off the pitch, they're probably all, you know, sound out, like, and stuff like that. But but it's, like, it's just going back to what John said there, like, in GA, like, you do say your team reflects your manager. If you're... <laughs> bang crazy or back crazy on the sideline you're more likely to have a back crazy team where if you're nice calm collective your team will probably mirror that on the pitch yeah and they did mention it about I think it was the was it the, the one day international win what was your man's name the one day captain Aaron Finch Finch yeah and they were they, they said like after you know the players had to vote for him and they said the captain is the embodiment and personification of the side you know and in cricket, it's the captain on the pitch. And in the GA, as you said, Matthew is probably the, the manager on the sideline and the levels that he's willing to go to himself, you know. 
we just give it a bit small bit of context there for people who just listen in here. Um, the Australia, like I lived in Australia for a year, and cricket is absolutely massive over there. It's like front page news, like it's much bigger. Say, you know, with, with GA is very big in the media in Ireland here, but it's actually front page news over there all year round. It's even though in, in the winter time when they're not playing over there, they're touring, but it's just it's batshit crazy, like it's mad. But there was controversy where two of the players are players caught cheating and ball tampering and their captain had to resign and their vice captain had to resign and the player for they all got banned for 12 months. So the public in Australia had gone against the team where before they would always been behind them. And Justin Langer came in as a new manager, new coach, and it was a big PR job to get the public back on side of the team as well as bringing on a new new players into the into the fold and try to improve the team as well. So it was a big, big job what was on his hands. But then just go back to you, John. Um you were captain of Leash this year. Did no, you find I was, was vice it, captain. Vice sorry, captain. vice captain. Vice yeah. captain. Did you find that role your role had to change from the way you'd usually rock up the train or match day situation or uh, no, I didn't, Mossy. Look, I suppose I was captain when I was 2013. I, I was a bit younger. I was 24, I think. At the time, I probably thought I had to do more than I needed to. Fellas are generally made captain because of what they're doing in the preceding year or the year coming up to when they're made captain. And what they're doing is generally good enough when they're captain, if you get me. But a lot of lads, and myself included, you think, okay, I'm captain now. I have to do more. I have to say things when I don't really need to or the team doesn't need it or I have to get involved in things that I don't really need to. You know, and I think that's where a lot of lads fall down when they're captain. But ultimately, you're there because of what you've done. So just keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's simplistic enough, but that's the reality of it. Yeah, and it, like that was very much the case with Finchie when he became captain. Like, he asked Justin Langer, like, why select me as captain? And he goes, and like, what do you want me to do? And he just said, just be Finchy. That's yes. exactly how he described it. Just be Finchy. And he didn't get that initially. And he his his performances really, really dropped. Now, I know it was dramatized to for the show, but his performances did drop. And then it was, it was probably the only time Justin Langer really got involved in coaching in the film is he done a bit of one-on-one coaching with Finch and got him back on, got him back on stride, you know, which was, which was, which was good, you know, and he, he'd made him captain and obviously he, he made him captain and then took the captaincy away. And I think like another, another manager after making someone captain mightn't have veered away and took it back off him as quickly. I know it's differences between one day and test cricket, but, it was something that was that was important. Like when Finch was going through the real bad patch, I think he was, you know, out really early in a couple of games. You know, Langer said to the other players around them, "Okay, lads, I want you all to say one thing to Aaron Finch." The players just said, "Look, be yourself," and more or less what Langer said to him, "Be Finchy." But I just thought it was good that. Aaron Finch was he- hearing it from his peers as opposed from hearing it from the manager. And it just created, I thought, a nice environment. And Finch went out the next game and he was excellent. You know, his best game in a long time. You know, so uh, 
that was another aspect of, of Langer's management that I liked. You know, he, he really made the players feel very important in what was done. Yeah, I suppose he had a great understanding of that role as well because he would have been an opening batsman as well, as far as I know. Yes, and, he was. And, you know, like being able to, like, look, every problem the Finch had, Langer probably had at some stage, you know, and as a player, he was able to learn from that and give the, I suppose, give his own experience. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting out of it, and I'd be interested to hear, like, is the, like, it's it's a grind, like the, the test matches in particular, um, like five days of constant switch on. Like you're talking, they start at about half ten in the morning, then they go on to maybe half five, six in the day. We had a couple of breaks in like, but five days of that. And then if you're away from home and you might have like, and I guess for the Ashes and they had a World Cup before it, like they were, they were out of their natural habitat for the guts of four months. Like, and like, for players, like, you can see it, I suppose you could start to see it in the thing, that when things were going well, it was a kind of a nice atmosphere. But when things weren't going so well, it was tough. And, like, mentally, like, that must be so, so draining for players, like, um, just to be able to be that switched on constantly. Yeah, it was, um, it's a grind. Like, it's, like, what was it one of the batters? Was he batting out the pitch for 10 hours? Yeah, it's like, just like could, 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 could you, whatever the name was, yeah. was but yeah. to to concentrate for that long and take everything in, it's like it's some achievements. But like something we mentioned on a podcast a couple of weeks ago with uh, Dave Ford was staying in the moment, not getting thinking about the future. Like Langer emphasized on next ball, next ball. Sorry, it was Adam Gilchrist actually. It was just next ball, wait on the next ball. That's all you can that's all you can do is just think about the next ball, concentrate on that, concentrate on that, staying in the moment. And I think in with GAA, I think that's what we have to do. We can't worry about the ball we give away or the goal the other team scored, or there's five minutes left in the match. What are we going to do? We have to just worry about what's in front of us right now, here and now. Yeah, and you know what? Going back to like I suppose at any particular time, it's a team who are successful is is what people are are basing a lot of of of, of stuff on. Like I can remember reading Brian Corcoran's uh, biography. Uh, it was it was called Gokilla Leroad, which is every single ball, and like it, it is very much that thing that you do have to live in, in in that moment at any particular time, and you can't be thinking about oh we'll get to the last ten minutes because if you don't get, if you don't do this five seconds you're not going to get any further in the game like life is all about living in the moment guys whether it's on or off the pitch and it's a lot easier said than done you know so if you're managing a team how would you go about getting the message through to your players you know literally you stay in the moment you know as Adam Gilchrist said you have to play like the next ball is the most important ball of your life you know, again, it's 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 easy to say these things, but when things are not going well on the pitch or on the crit grounds, how do you say it to yourself and how do you stay in the moment? Yeah, it is a, it is a challenge, definitely. Anyone got the answers? Paul has. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I, I told you, nobody has the answers. You just have to ask good questions. The better the questions, the more likely you are to get an answer. Yeah, but like like on that about the, the grind, like 
I can't remember. I think it might have been Usman again, like in the first steps. I think he said, when you lose, you have a meeting about the loss. And then you watch tapes about how you got knocked, how you got out. Then you go training and this keeps going and going. And it's like a nightmare that I can't break, that I can't break. And I just, mm. like I said, I was just thinking like, there is times like, I'm like, sure, I know here when I'm playing, playing or coaching, when things just go bad and you spend more time worrying about what went on as opposed to finding the moving on to the next day, next phase of it. Like, do you know as well when we're talking about Usman Kuaga, he was one of the best. I'm not going to say a character because mm. it's not drama or fiction, but he had one of the biggest roles to play in making the test as good as it was, in my opinion. You know, it started off where the first test, Justin Langer's first test, where Usman Watson brought to England and he rings Langer up and says, look, why wasn't I brought or why wasn't I brought? And he says, well, look, you're not fit enough. You need to lose weight. And Usman said that, you know, he felt big rated after that. And he also said that he had something to aim for. And then he lost seven or eight kgs and he completely turned his physique around and Justin Langer had huge respect for him. And then another part of the test where Usman plays a big role is when he says to Justin Langer, all the boys are afraid of you. Yeah, they feel yeah, like they're walking yeah. around in eggshells. The way he said it, it was brilliant because it was so honest. In fairness to Langer, he, I think he put that culture there because any time he was having a coach's meeting, he said, honest feedback, how did that go? Honest feedback, was I too hard on the players there? And then when the players are involved and Usman says that, you know, Langer sort of says, look, sometimes you're challenged emotionally. You have to just take a breath and sort of not fight back. But it was just, uh, it was a good scene. Like what I liked about Usman is that he said at one stage, he goes, I love batting. I could bat all day. And again, going back to the, the episode of David Ford, like we spoke about, like, do you really love what you're doing? Or do you do it out of a sense of obligation? You know, like how many fellas are playing cricket or soccer or Gaelic football or hurling? And how many of them are playing at the level they're playing out of an obligation? How many of them actually really, really love it? Like that if, you know, it's one of the things that I'd always be very, look, I suppose every, every person has their own reasons. But when players stop making the inter-county panel or retire or whatever, and they stop playing with their clubs team straight away, I always kind of have a small question about, you know, like what was keeping that fella going? And, you know, with, with Usman, no, like I could imagine he'll probably still play at some level of cricket till he's about 60 or 70. And same with Steve, Steve Smith, like he seemed to just love it. He just loved having the bat in the hand. And it's it's a question like that, I, you know, ever since the day before the episode, like it's... Do, do we need to ask this question or do we even, should we not ask this question because we'll get the wrong answer? But it was, uh, I thought it was really interesting the way that they just had such a joy it brought them. Like. Even, even Layhanger, the, he's part of the team and like he's part of the 18 and he's going around cleaning up after Steve Smith. It was just brilliant. Like he's just, Steve Smith is his hero and he's playing with him, living, living his dream and, he has an agreement with Steve Smith. If Steve Smith says he's notorious, messy, and aggressive, if you clean up my gear after a match, I'll give you one of my bats. 
and he just jumped at it. He thought it was the deal of the century. And I thought it was just like the sheer joy the game brought to some of the players they, right the way through. It was just brilliant. They seemed like a, a fairly tight group of players, though, didn't they? Well, yeah. I got that impression anyway. And, you know, Nathan Lyon, his songs after the victories, and um, it, it just seemed like a nice atmosphere to be in. And again, as Paul said, it's dramatized and it's looking good for the camera, but it did strike me. Yeah, it, it was great. And like, sure, like, how could it be any other way when they're constantly with each other? And like, even that scene where one of the lesser players, I can't think of his name at the moment, just says, Look, every morning at half nine, I'm going on a walk. You know, Mitchell Marsh, is it? Yeah. And it, it's like, Yeah, I'm going on walk. it. I'm going on it. If you want to come, grand. If you don't want to come, so on, but he 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 just allowed that that avenue for other people to get there, and even even the two boys with the with the coffee, you know, yeah. two boys with the coffee, and then like we'll say Steve Smith and his shadow batting all over the place, and just everyone accepting other people's quirkiness <laughs> was just like you know what I wasn't looking forward to watching it, and like I was just at the end of an episode. Next one, next one, next one, because it was just if you could create and culture is is constantly talking about, and I think a lot of the time it's a bullshit word because Whoa. there isn't cultures mm. properly enacted by teams, but it certainly wasn't that team. Yeah, it was. It was. There's authenticity to it, not this sort of fakeness about sweeping up the restaurants for the sake because everyone else is doing it. I thought it was. It was pretty real. And I think it all started with Langer. Like a guy, imagine a guy getting the biggest job that you could get in your sport and you're only starting off. And I'll just say, for example, Eddie Brendan gets the Kenny Hurling job. And the first thing he does is. the inside is, line there, Mossy, have you? Inside line, yeah. Um, first thing he does is he rings up DJ Carey, he rings up Henry Shefflin, and he rings up JJ Delaney. Blas, you come in and do a few sessions and talk to the team and. I want your advice during matches and stuff like that. He'd no ego, I don't think, whatsoever. And I thought, like, I think he just set a seriously good tone right from the start of the show. And it's like, it's, I thought he was just brilliant, to be honest. And I couldn't agree more with you. Like, get Ponting, Gilchrist, Michael Hussey, Brad Haddon, the batting coach. But Langer said he's a quote up in his office. I'm not sure where his office is now, but says, I've never been to Harvard, but I employ a lot of people who have been, you know, and, and like, and he was so proud saying it, you know, mm. it, it, it wasn't, he wasn't in survival mode thinking, right, this is about me and I can't bring anyone in who was a better cricket player than me, or I can't bring anyone in who might know more about me. It's like he embraced going up. Ricky Ponting, like the most decorated Australian cricket player of all time, he's in. And not that he has a, a minimum role, but, you know, he, he doesn't have a huge role, but he's helping out in the training ground. He's contributing in the meeting. It, it was huge. As you said, I, I thought that was just a real, real sign of strength from Justin Lang, a real sign of courage that he was able to bring these guys in and be so proud of it. Yeah, but they, with all those fellas that came in, right, one thing that stood out, most of them were giving real fine technical advice. And we consider hurling in particular, definitely, and football as well. They're very technical sports. But do we actually coach the technical 
anymore like at the top once players get to a certain age is it just everything else barely technical or is it just the fact that cricket is you know it's a what, what am I trying to say it's a straightforward sport as in like the ball gets thrown it'll come from there to here you know there's no one trying to break your hand from behind you or anything like that but it's uh it is something that I thought was very interesting was how technical they got on a lot of the things and that said we consider both the hurling and football to be really technical sports the players wanted to get better um, I can't remember, we, we were at a talk before, I don't know who it was, and he was involved with an inter-county team, maybe it was Tyrone, and he was saying not one player ever asked him, how can I improve myself once they got to senior inter-county level? So I don't know, does that still go on? Are, are players more open to look for advice to keep improving all the time? Actually, the real like, technical side of the game. Well, is that, is, does that go down to ego then, or, lack, or fear of ego, let's say, as in, do I want to show weakness? Do you know, as I said, like, with, with the wrong manager, I'd imagine it could be taken up the wrong way, you know? Like, if if I go up to John on John is the manager of Leash Senior, Cork Senior Footballers, and I said, John, like, how do I improve my catching? Like, some managers who might be able to give you an answer might throw it back at you as a weakness, you know? Like, it's kind of when, um, I think it was Usman and, and Langer had a confrontation early on about uh, going to the nets so much. Mm. And you know, Langer was confrontational back to him. And I think he, he, he even admitted it a small bit afterwards. But to, to be challenged and not be able to give, I, I don't think he was happy with the answer he gave in retrospect. When he looked back at it an hour later or two hours later, I don't think he was happy with how he dealt with that confrontation. And should he have dealt with it in a different way? I, I don't know. As I said, I just, I got the vibe from it. as Because as it went on, I think you could definitely see him developing as a coach as it went on. In that instance... I thought he handled it quite well because Kuaga was getting annoyed that every time a player missed, the whole team had to change. Hmm. Langer's response was, listen, we've had 20 batting collapses in the last year. Okay, so what we have been doing for the last year, we can't keep doing it. We have to learn some way. You know, it's a fine line because then the batters are thinking, I have to get this or the whole team is changing. And Justin Langer saying... Well, we've had 20 batting collapses, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard to know. Like, I suppose when we go out as players, you want to play with freedom. But if you're too bogged down in not making a mistake, it's the worst place in the world on a pitch, you know? So it, it's hard to know, really. But where does, where does that come from? Is that, the man, is that the culture that's been surrounding the group, is it? I think he had a purpose for his session, though. That was, I think, the idea of it. It wasn't just batting for the sake of batting in the nets. There was actually a purpose to it. You have to stay on, not give away cheap wickets. If you do, you're going to let us down in the match and we're going to go through our lineup fairly quickly. And it's the same. I think they trained at match intensity nearly throughout the, the show. And I think they had a purpose nearly to every training session on what they wanted to get out of it. And I think that's vital for any team in GA when you're coaching a team is that you have a reason for why you're doing it. You're not just doing the drill for the sake of it because you saw it done in a warm-up at a match in Crow Park or you've seen another club are doing this. Why are we doing it and how are we doing it and how are we going to get better from a result of doing this exercise? The why is the most important thing in coaching or in being involved in any team. As you said, Massey, why we're doing this, you know, and I think it's important that players are able to be able to say, well, I don't understand. Can you tell me why are we doing this? You know, have that freedom. And 
I suppose managers not taking offence to that. I think Langer created that culture where it was open, where players could question the coaches. And he was very open to it, I believe. Yeah, look, I, I think that question is really important and it was it was like it was it was one of my favourite things in it. Like like um Justin Langer talked about having Steve Waugh as his mentor and counsel who he looked for honest feedback himself and he didn't want anything sure sugar coated, you know, um off him. And if you're asked a question about the design of a particular exercise and you're not able to link it back to how you want the team to play at the weekend or a couple of weeks down the line, then that's a re- that's just a filler exercise you're doing, you know? Um, and like, if you're not, it, like so many people go, oh yeah, do you know what? I want, to, we're going to play, a, I, I'm just talking generalities now and really loose terms. We're going to play a blanket defense with two sweepers, right? But that's not how the team trains on a Tuesday and Thursday, then there's a big disconnect between your playing philosophy and your coaching philosophy. And if that isn't right, then you're in trouble. You know, and you just feel that and particularly and he's he's mentioned it already there, particularly around that scene where where Ozzy talks about them walking on eggshells around Justin Langer. When he got that honest stuff back from the players, I feel his whole demeanor completely changed. And again, it was dramatized, and it was nearly like that episode four was was the very bottom of the valley in terms of where the team were going. And it was that scene for me that just took it out of it. Like that was the episode. That episode four was like where the journalists were really happy, and like one of the one of the journalists like. Like it was like a scene out of anger management with, with Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler. Like I genuinely thought just Langer was gonna like react violently with the journalists at that particular stage. Um, and also in that in the, in that episode, like the wife talked about I don't like what being the Australian cricket manager is doing to you. You know, because it was having such a negative effect on all aspects of him. But then the following es- episode, Ozzy says Justin Langer's after Mellowing. So like it is, but 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 it, but it was great. Like and I, I just feel that by by it being so honest, it allowed Ju- Justin Langer to really really grow in it. Yeah, and, and like also in in that episode four, like. You know whether he realized it before that or not, but about the distractions, you know, like as you said about the media, everything was getting at him. Then he was finding flaws with everything, like you mentioned about the whiteboard with the schedule for for meetings and stuff like that. And you know that's not why he that's not why he's there. And it's like it's like the committee meeting that you make it dragged onto. All you're worried about what happens on the pitch, but there's all this other stuff that just can bog you down and take you away from from what's what's important to to what you're trying to do and it was interesting too in that scene with Usman Kwaga Kwaga said listen JL from the very start you've said to the players anything outside this room is white noise goes over your head but we're not seeing the same practice from you 
you know, and it was interesting that Kuaga said that to him and pointed out. I just thought, you know, I suppose JL had to had to not let that show because he was trying to say to the players, listen, it's white noise. He kept saying that, but then the players noticed it was affecting him. So that was a difficult enough dynamic as well that he had to sort of meander his way out of. What did he uh, think of the old, the India, the trip to India? And I suppose the, like we're talking about the grind and stuff like that, but like that was just, it seems to take it to another level. The players, you know, it was constant, you know, they were saying people knocking on the door just asking for a selfie and stuff like that. Like the Indians come across as a very, very happy bunch of people. Where, where I need to, there's a bit of a difference on the bus journeys in India compared to the bus journey in Edgebaston in England yeah. and the crowds. But uh, we'll get to that later, I'm sure. And what I found interesting as well was when they were playing in India, one of the first things Langer said was, you know, the conditions, we're not used to these conditions. Now, I don't know enough about cricket, but I would imagine that when Australians play in Australia, it's a very dry wicket and the pitch is very dry. And you'd imagine the same in India. I think I think no, a, large, a large amount is the humidity and stuff like that, John. Okay. The, like the, the ball turns different. Um, and it, I said, come on, Mas. The pitches are dustier, supposedly, so it's more spin friendly. In where the, India. In yeah. India, where and the Very ball good. bounces and the ball bounces lower in that part of the world, supposedly. And as again, I wouldn't know anything about it. And but in Australia, it's a really fast, hard bounce where it suits the faster bowlers, if you get me. Okay. And yes. then in the UK, it's where, for some reason, I don't know, we've got technical there, with cloud cover, the ball swings away or towards the wicket more than anywhere else in the world. And that's why there's the, the toss at the start is so important. Like they said, I think it was in Leeds where the cloud cover was in they said this is the day that uh it's a bowler's day today it's a bowler's day today yeah and the following day the sun was shining it was clear ground but it is it is something like that that cricket like australia had never or india had never won uh was that a test a series a A series series in in australia Australia. and you'd see that it'd be very much the home team wins more more than not but i think again a large amount of that comes out of the comfort zone like they're in a bubble in india for x amount of weeks fellas banging on the windows of the bus hundreds of people outside the hotel they've got to get a, a basically every staff member of the hotel makes a walkway for them through but it's just uh, like talk about loving their sport like they it, fucking love it there's I was watching another documentary there not so long ago cricket one actually cricket documentaries are just, just they're some of the best sporting documentaries you'll see they're just really interesting characters but some player went to uh, one of the cities in India um, and on the pitch say well, say say the size of Crow Park, for example, there might have been fifteen different matches going on at the same time, just playing everywhere. Then you go down the streets, kids are just playing any bit of space they can get whatsoever. Like India is one of the biggest countries, sorry, second biggest population in the world, and it's just obsessed with cricket. That's their that's their GA. It's just crazy over there. Yeah, like I was I was there at a friend's wedding back uh, probably six years ago at this stage. But like the amount of people there, I tell you, you would you like it is true. Like you see it in the video there, and it was just on the film or the show. And there's so many people outside the stadium and stuff like that. And it's true, I tell you, you know, there's just people everywhere. And you until you go there, you wouldn't actually believe it. Like because we we stayed in Mumbai, and like we arrived in a half two at night, and I tell you, there was fellas digging holes on the side of the road at middle of the night, just 
chaos. But uh, but like that, you'd see wicket, you'd see wickets painted on walls and stuff like that, just randomly around the place in the streets. But it was a, uh, it's an amazing place. Like, but um, yeah, like Vera Coley, like they, they I, I think that was one of the things about uh, playing in India and India playing in Australia. Like, is they're nearly defeated before they kind of go there, aren't they? Like it's like when teams it, used to it go up and play. Makes that much of a difference, yeah. Yeah, but if that's what it seemed like, you know, they, they always kind of talk about oh, like even even the Ashes, you know, Australia hadn't won an Ashes tour in 19 years, they'd retained the title there and stuff like that. But it, it's nearly kind of seen as look, if we get a draw, great, and if we lose, what I'm sure it's not like we're breaking tradition, you know. And does it not mean more than that to them? I'd imagine it means more, but I think the acceptance of the difficulty in what they're trying to do okay. seems to be a huge thing. Like, like you're traveling for so long away from home. Like I suppose the only thing that we could sort of equate it to was, even though I wouldn't know anything really about it, is the Lions going playing rugby in South Africa, Australia or New Zealand and how difficult it is to, to tour for that long and come back with the Test Series victory where in a one-off match, like Ireland could beat whoever. Or New Zealand, Ireland would beat much, don't be honest with you. But one of the other teams might beat whoever I see I'll tell you there's two comparisons or two comparisons in Irish sport that I can think of one is Mayo Hurlers playing their home matches in Bill Mullet and two <laughs> the Down Hurlers playing their playing their home matches out in the, the Arts Peninsula um, I think that's the equivalent but but look we carry on what about the journey of understanding when they went to France before the World Cup akin to the Dublin senior footballers doing their historical trip to I, I thought that was brilliant I thought he brought, what was the guy's name, Major General Major Stephen Day in, and he is the leader of the Defence Force in Australia. Again, goes back to the fact they want to be good Australians, and they bring them to where the Battle of the Somme was, and Australia lost more men there than any other battle in the history of warfare. You know, and then he brings them to... Uh, where was the other place? Gallipoli. Another... Gallipoli. Yeah, yeah, Gallipoli, are you having a laugh, John? Are you? That's worse than the wasp thing in season one. Ignore Gallipoli. Them, Ignore them. No, in Turkey. Yeah, yeah. Gallipoli. Gallipoli, it's called. Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Ignore them. Edit that out, will you? No, no way. That's an absolute beauty. <laughs> I would have said Gallipoli as well, John, so don't worry. Gallipoli. Gallipoli, yeah. Maybe in Crumlin it's Gallipoli. Here, Gallipoli sounds like something down, some place you'd be drinking down in Collection. <laughs> I prefer Gallipoli than Gallipoli, so I'm staying with too. it. Go with it. I'm, go, I'm with you, John. We're split to all. But, um, Hope none uh, of your students take history for junior, sir. I'm a, I'm, I'm a history connoisseur. I'll have you know Thomas Burke. <laughs> Um, but anyway, going back to that, just bringing Stephen Day and another outside voice who came in and just the reaction of the players after being in those places, they're like, my God, those men were the same age as us and they were great Australians and, you know, what they went through and then Justin Langer challenged those boys to think about what those men went through and really they're playing a game of cricket, you know, and, and we're playing a game of GEA, what people in this country went through. For so many years, you know, we're 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 blessed in a way that we live in the time we do. Yeah, very true. Like I suppose one of the things that from the Ashes part in, let's say, or the or the World Cup, maybe I think it was the Ashes, was the it was the admiration that 
Justin Langer has for Steve Smith as a batter. You know, just it just he used to just be delighted throwing balls at him, like, and and it's probably something that it's probably something that like when you're involved tight, you kind of lose seeing the brilliance of stuff, you know, um, of players like and or things they do. Whereas when you're on watching television, RHF, somebody does something that's great. But like when you're when you're in that kind of a fight tight environment, like it, it, it is something that gets passed over a small bit, isn't it? Like to actually enjoy the brilliance of another player or another or one of your players or something like that. Like is there anyone at least who just does things you just think are outrageous every so often? Look, you'd have to look at Ross and, and his application and his determination and his motivation. You know, that's that's something that you'd have to stand back and go, this is a generational type player that we're lucky to be playing with and lucky that he's still playing with Leash, you know. But I suppose there's the way Justin Langer saw Steve Smith. I suppose Justin Langer felt that about Steve Smith because Justin Langer was a batsman as well. Yeah. And maybe he strived to be the best batsman in the world. I don't think he was, but... Steve Smith is generally perceived to be the best cricketer in the world and because he's a batsman, he's the best batsman in the world. Because Australian cricket is, is in his DNA, he's so passionate about it, I suppose he's, he's so grateful that he's able to coach this absolute, you know, one in a generational type player. Yeah, and like I'd say what you said there about him being a batsman himself, because I know like when I'm coaching teams or whatever, it's the kind of, it's the goal scoring forward who might do a ridiculous flick before getting the goal is what excites me. You know? Jordine. Yeah. And as I said, I've seen enough of him touching the ball on the opposite corner. But like the other thing that I thought was really interesting was, was that like, it, while it is a team sport, it is very much individualistic. And uh, like, it probably goes back to everything. Like the, the, one of the things I thought was really interesting was like how they all had their own little they all do different things to perfect their craft. You know, Steve Smith did his hours and hours of shadow shadow batting, whereas David Warner seemed like a fellow who just, you know, yeah, just give me the bat and I'll just go, you know, whereas other fellas were trying to copy other people, like Marinus was trying to do some of the stuff that Steve Smith was doing and stuff like that. But it, like it is, it's very interesting to see like in a team sport, how they're just so contrasting personalities in everything they do, like as regards preparation for the match, um, even the morning of a match, things they do differently. And like, I'd imagine it's probably the same in the GA. Like there's just a few oddballs on every team, I'd imagine, isn't there? In all sports teams, there's there's uniqueness. You know, I read Mickey Harris spoke a while ago and he said, you have to be able to respect the uniqueness of the individual. And, And that's really what success is about. That's a really good quote. You're writing that one down, Colin. Yeah. It's a great book. I thought Justin Langer was so positive throughout the show with his players. Like Steve Smith was the best player in the world. Uh, Nathan Lyon was the best player in the world. They had the best bowling fast attack in the world. Mm. And then Coley is the greatest player he's ever seen. <laughs> and then, then he brings in like uh, Ricky Ponton and Steve Waugh, the greats. You know, I thought he was just, I just thought, he loved his sport. Like he loved his game. He loved his job. He loved what he did in the past. He said the first time he ever got called up for Australia and he arrived at the, um, the hotel, he said, it was like Christmas morning. He said, just a bag of gear arrived and he had everything. He just like at this, I thought he just had a real positive 
outlook on everything. And, and, and that's what he said when he became manager as well. He had to pinch himself. Yeah. You know, like it, it was like getting the green cap all over again. And it was great to see such passion from him because ultimately, it's like what Colm said a while ago, you know, you have to love what you're doing. And, you know, passion is, is really so important an ingredient to success. It, it comes across if you're a coach or a manager, if you're enthusiastic and you're passionate, that'll come across to your players. And we spoke about before, like the players would buy into you more and probably give it more if they see that coming from you. If you're that committed and that enjoying it that much, that they'll perform. Like uh, the other thing that I thought that I really, I really liked about it, and it's probably something I just noticed in rugby there as well lately was, was the subs with the water battles and stuff like that. Well, not subs, the, the panel members. You know, a water break or a wicket, they're sprinting on to the pitch with the water for the teammates. You know, and it just like obviously they're not carrying water boys all the way over to England. Um, <laughs> sorry, a few fellas on a proper junket, but but it, it is real. Like they, that, they do become essentially a family in that environment over the thing. But like the margin of victory or the margins between success and failure, again, like are just so fine. And Justin Langer, like obviously after that, you're going, ah, you know, he did excellent. They won the retained the ashes, got the semi-final of the, of the World Cup. Unlucky not to, you know, just probably peaked a little bit early or the injuries cost him. Um, but again, like I think it was the second set, was it the second test win Stokes or the third test when Stokes had the, the amazing finish and the fourth yeah. test again, it looked like it was coming down to the wire. And like as I said, from doing so much right can just be grasped away like that. The, I suppose the highs and the lows of sport are very much exaggerated in, in, in the result at the end mm. of the day, you know. Uh, and it, it is something that, again, you can see there that while they didn't win the last game, it took an awful lot of gloss away from the fact that they, they retained the ashes. The wives and the girlfriends were all delighted with them. You know, oh, my God, well done, you retained the ashes. But the players were all kind of, uh, yeah, but we didn't win. And, like, I suppose... You'd expect that, though, wouldn't you? Like, as I said, do we do we celebrate the successes too much and do we worry about the losses too much as well? Like, is there a middle a middle ground there? I think Nathan Lyon made a good point in one of the earlier episodes where he says that he should celebrate every win because it could be his last. He just doesn't know when it's mm-hmm. his last. Again, they were over there. They retained the Ashes, probably wanted to win it. They had a great chance to win it. Um, like that third, like that, just again, for somebody with no interest in cricket whatsoever, just watch the drama of that episode where Australia and the emotions in the dugout, so say the, the emotions of where they thought they're going to win a match. And then a player comes out and just digs England out of a hole, basically. Um, no, like the referee, we, it was the referee got them to win at the end of the day. Mate. At the end, yeah. The referee used to blame, like. But how often have like we've been as players or coaches or managers where we're in a bad place in a match where nothing was going our way, but we might be down to one player to like pull up their socks and drag a team. Like what like we probably all expected of somebody, you know, said so that's the player who can do it for us there. What what is it like? Is it like to win a catch or to hit a shoulder or make a block like there, there's a turning point in a match like for they can get a team just going like it's, it's, it's hard to describe is there any examples you can think of there yourselves that's Shefflin in the goal in match 2012 All-Ireland final the first match yeah second half second half when he just went out and won ball after ball after ball and 
he was hurt of the year that year. He was unreal, but that match always stands out to me. And look, we I suppose you've seen it down through the years countless times, I suppose, when we're put in a spot we can't think of it. But um just going back to that, wasn't Ben Stokes' celebration just iconic? <laughs> you know, when he, you, you, you probably wouldn't associate cricket with those sorts of moments of heroism or, you know, celebratory images, but that was just unbelievable. It goosebumps nearly. Yeah, I think, they, I don't know what this is, but I, I wrote it down that different day, different hero. And mm. like, obviously, like you're thinking who's the marquee player and stuff like that. But like you said, Massey, it could be the, was it Philip Jordan who made the block? Or Gormley made the block Gormley, on, yeah. you know, like Peter Canavan. I don't know, it's the same match, but you know, like as I said, it's all fine margins, and it's a little, a little thing that somebody insignificant, like it's like Marnus. Marnus came in mm. there when Steve Smith got injured, and ended up in the second top top score in the in the Ashes, like mm. you know, just out of nowhere. But it's just different, different day, different hero. Like, um, it was 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 important. Is there anything else on the on the show? Come on. Just just on that that uh, the ashes as well, like the importance of the performance analysis side of things and the real like I, I suppose the, the the numbers side of cricket really came in, like where where Justin Langer talked about the mathematician back home in in Melbourne is after winning us this game, like you know, and that, that's always that's that's the thing I was really disappointed with in the show that it was that eight episode before they got into a little bit more of that really, really technical performance analysis side of things, because like, obviously you don't know what way people are going to line up and what the opposition are going to do. But if you're able to get, find the, the opposition's weakness and exploit it really quickly in that 15 minute or one hour spell, you can do serious, serious damage, you know? Um, because like it is, it's 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 fine, fine, Mark. I, I don't know about the weather and the the way the ball is spinning, like like Mossy does. But I like, gave an exhibition there. He did. It, I, I I'm still reeling from. I haven't said much <laughs> since. <laughs> First time that in a while, Paul. Um. No, but like just that whole side of things, I think is is really important, and I think. In, 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 in some of the sports, it's just massively important. Yeah. I would say a lot of that might have been down to that it hadn't worked in the other show, in the other matches. I'm sure it was the same technical information, but for that match, it worked fantastically yeah. well. Like they knew the line, the length, whatever else would have to do, but it came across well. But there was, yeah. like I said, it's for anybody, I said, just watch the show. Like if you might no interest in cricket, but the dynamic between the players, the dynamic between management and just the drama of it. It's just brilliant. It's just it's super show to watch. It could translate to any sport. Any value. sport. You know, the, the camaraderie, the highs, the lows, the skill execution. Like it it, it was uh yeah, it was brilliant. Brilliant. So anyone who asked watch this just, just give yourself a bit of time and, and enjoy it and see what you can learn from it. Yeah, it's, it's like even like the inner sanctum of a feedback session the day after the match they lost to England that time by a run, where Tim Payne was called out the like the morning and nobody wanted to be there because they like they got beaten 
and Langer said, no, I'm going to call him in and we're going to go through it. And he called his captain out on decision that he made on the field that cost him. Mm-hmm. And like Tim, Tim Payne was argumentative at the time, but then he apologised and he said they showed the vulnerability. He found it very hard to admit that in public. Um, and he went to Justin Langer and said it. And he said, and Justin Langer just admired him for it. It was like the vulnerability he showed in front of others. And I think like that drama was just fantastic. Yeah. And like, do you know what else I thought, John, I thought was really interesting was, was the, the knowledge of the game of the players, you know, when they were talking about tactical stuff and, you know, like, I think we need a left-hander here and stuff like that. I thought that was really interesting as well that like a lot of the times, like I'd imagine now as you progress in inter-county and get a bit older, you become more experienced and stuff like that. But I'd have asked, imagine a lot of it is kind of just go what's in front of you. Um, but they seem to have a really good knowledge yeah. of... But Colm, as you said earlier, those boys could start a game at half ten in the morning and they might finish at half five at night. And they'll do that for five days in a row. So the time they spend on the field is incomparable to any other field sport. Yeah. So you would imagine that they would have to know the game inside out, even if they didn't want to, just from pure experience of being in that environment for so long, you know? There's a couple of things I really liked in the show. Um, one was the rain day and just the pure madness of the in the dressing room trying to keep themselves entertained. It just reminds you of coaching at a summer camp and it rains and you're <laughs> stuck inside and you don't know what's going on. But the, the thing that I really liked was um, the players getting their first cap yeah. and how they were presented with the baggy green by a legend of the game. And it was just like what it meant to them to get there, like they strive probably all their life to get there and the rewarded with this one baggy cap, which they keep throughout their career. Like they don't get a new one or anything like that. And like Nathan Lyon, like a current player, presented one of the other lads because the player looked up to him. I thought that was fantastic. Have his head. Yeah, and I thought that was fantastic. I thought, like I've thought about this before, it could be something we, we could do in GA at young at juvenile teams when, say, an under-8 team are about to have their first match or whatever. Could we get one of our star club players down? Like, it doesn't have to be today, the match, I'm sure they're busy. But, like, sometime that year, to present them with their first jersey of the club, say, just for example, Colin Crowley is the star player at Killa. And he goes down to the under eights before the first match and just has a word and say, look, is this you're about to represent Killer? This is the start of maybe 30, 40 years of yourself belonging to a club. Wouldn't it be a lovely thing to do for each yeah. club? Yeah, I did like it. No, I thought that was one of the nice things mm. that you see with it. Like, and, like I, don't, I don't know, I've never been, well, uh, in the inner sanctum of inter-county teams and stuff like that, but, but it must be very daunting for a, a new player to come into that setup. And like I suppose just to, when they made their debut, I just I thought that was a really nice thing as well. And I thought the, afterwards with the huddles that like it was usually usually Nathan Lyon gave you a bit of a speech afterwards or whatever, you know. And I just think they they were nice things. And but you could see there's a huge amount of ownership on the players in that in cricket. Like the the players really are like there's so much expectation on them to to lead and to drive it to do so much, you know. Um, I think it lends itself to that very much so Just the thing about Justin Langer um, I thought he had really wild eyes right <laughs> and there was a kind of a, there was a kind of a comedic element to him at times in it I don't know if any has ever seen um, it's, it's, it's a mo- no a, a mockumentary <laughs> called uh, Summer Heights High 
with Chris Lilly in Australia, no? No, Paul. It, 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 it's very good. And he actually has another one. It's on Netflix at the moment called uh, Lunatics. But you can imagine Justin Langer being a character in Summer Heights High or, or, or Lunatics, Justin, in, in, in terms of the, 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 way, the way he goes on. Um, just look, just just thought it was really good. And look, Justin Langer is just a really good fella who loves where he's from and wants where he's from to be as good as they can they can possibly be. He had real sort of Roy Keane intense eyes, yeah. and he? he just yeah. looked. At, I loved his ass slapping. When the guys are going into the in whenever they do well, they get a slap in the ass. Or if they only did okay, he'd get them slap in the back. It was like, yeah, he did really well. <laughs> he give me a, I thought uh, he was just. I like the scene where he pulled Finch up for not contesting the decision. Yeah, you know, he walks the rest and goes, "What was that?" You know, and and Finch is very shook. You know, and, and Langer like is is pretty pissed off. You know. <laughs> That was around the time as well. Like he 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 was really at the crescendo at that stage of his of just being pissed off with losing, <laughs> and like he talked like and it's been mentioned with Dublin and the All Blacks about better people and all, and he just goes, guys, like it's not the Australian good bloke team, it's the Australian fucking cricket team, you know, <laughs> and just when he got away with like, look, it's grand being a good bloke, but we have. To fucking win, <laughs> just just the way describe. Just this isn't an Australian good bloke team. Was just a, a... <laughs> he's a couple of times during the film. He was mentioning the film "A Star Is Born," yeah. and he was trying to get in conversation <laughs> with a couple of them. And I'd never saw the film, so I decided there myself and my wife for something to watch. The last day and was on um, Amazon. As I said, we stick this on. I thought it was going to be a feel good movie. She was in tears for about hours after it. So, Justin Langer. How long were you yeah. in tears for? Just not as long as Cullen would be. No, no. It was a, it's a, it's a tear jerker, all right. It's a tear. Uh, oh, it's a brilliant film. It's a brilliant yeah. film. So, Justin, if you want to ever come on and we discuss the stars <laughs> born on the show, you're, we're sending you out the invitation right here, right now. Um, any other favorite scenes or lines in it? Like, my favorite, I think my favorite line. Or the bit I laughed about the most, I don't know, did I laugh much in it, but it was when Steve Smith in the first innings of the Ashes and your man came out and he said, said, let's get it to 250. And he goes, shut the fuck up, let me bet, I'll get it to 300. And I think he got to 290 or something like that before he eventually got found out. But uh, what I really liked as well was the, the after the fourth test in the Ashes, when they, um, when they, when they retained the Ashes, was they, they reenacted the... Getting your man out that wicket in the in the dressing room, and it was just seemed like just the most best. That was very good. You'd ever have, you know. It just seemed like just brilliant fun to be had by them all inside there, like. And when Nathan Lyon said there was an imposter in the camp during the <laughs> yeah. week, and he said uh, someone pretended to be JL, but he was smiling. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that was very good. Yeah. And uh, another part of it that I really liked, I think it was their, one of the first games against Pakistan. And they were 462 down and it was like, it was gone, there was no chance. But they came back to draw it. Mm. And when they came back into the dressing room after like 
Justin Langer said to the players, I'm so proud of you all. And he said it five times in a row. Yeah. So it just showed that how much he cared and how much it meant to them that they were after showing such character to not lose that game that looked like it was gone. I just that was another thing that stuck out about his his passion and how much he wanted them guys to have a bit of character. I I also loved the interviews throughout the film where himself and Payne were talking about and they could relive every single ball. I presume this is done a couple of months afterwards and they could relive every single ball and you could see the emotion on their face still of wins and defeats and it's just like there's so many things you can talk about in the documentary as, as we said there it's just just watch it like it's just just it's incredible what are we giving mr langer out of five john as the guest you get first call from what i've seen i would give him four out of five okay yeah i think is that too high a rating in your rating system or is it no, no, don't. No, John, I think yeah. Uh, don't let others interf- interf- influence you. Yeah, no. Look, as as we spoke for the last hour and twenty minutes, he had an awful lot of great traits, and he he seemed to be open to everything, attached to nothing. It's so important in life that you're open to things and you're not shooting things down. Now, at times, he probably could have been a little bit more positive and smiled a little bit more and. That's what Usman Kouaga said and Tim Payne had said before that, look, set up brilliant. We need a little bit more positivity from you. Um, but yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd, if I was going into management, I'd like to think that I'm taking a lot of those traits with me, you know? Massey? I'm going to give him four as well. I'm taking a point away from him for me having to put up with um, the tears of my wife watching The Star is Born. <laughs> <laughs> last night for two hours but I thought he was just brilliant and it, you know what it, of all the films we've watched he's the one guy I'd love to meet and sit down and have a chat or have a drink with or anything like that I thought he's just a really good guy mm. Paul? Yeah I, I think four is a fair rating for him I'd usually give it a four to make a nice even number but I, I'm going to give it a 4.5 because I felt I felt that he, he adapted, he improved as it went on. I thought that the feedback he was willing to take on board and reflect on, I thought was, was very good. Um, like he, he was he was an emotional guy. Like you could see it in the, the ashes the time he kicked the bin off the kicked the bin down the stairs and he was picking up all the bottles of banana skins and stuff. Um <laughs> And and when when things were touchy, at least you with, picked them up. Yeah, and when yeah. things when things were touchy with the journalists as well, you know, you can see the emotion is there. Um, like as I said, I just think he adapted great. I just I just loved that. Like the you know he was he was very much good players, good people, and he stuck to that kind of mantra throughout. And and look, they they came from like he went into a horrible horrible position of a job. Like it was the only job that can be harder than that is. The Kilkenny senior job after Brian Cody, you know, I, I just think it was just such a tough job to go in and be successful, and and I think I think he made a fair good chunk of it. Like, and the fact that they had a creative Kingfisher beer in the dressing room after the India series, I as a big thumbs up for that. It's the best beer in the world. I know you, you don't drink Jenna, but uh, the I, I've tasted many a beer, and it's by a mile the best. Is it half and half with lemonade? No, 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 full fat. And uh, I remember the first time. No, it's not as good. We got it in Ireland. It's not as good. But there's stuff over in India, boy. It's uh, 
whatever they put in it, it's some good stuff. But uh, yeah, other than that, all good. John, thanks very much for your time, man. Thanks for having me, fellas. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us today. Please leave a review on your favorite platform. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You may also want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roy Orbison Tattoo, and we appreciate any likes, retweets, comments, or suggestions for future viewings. Next week, we will be watching 16 Days of Glory, and we will have Liam Morgan on to discuss with us. We'll have the show available Tuesday morning, first thing as always. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.